When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast, where we're all about commander, data, and dad jokes. I'm Joey Schultz and I'm joined by my fantastic co-hosts. Up first, whenever he makes a clue token, he takes the secret passage from the conservatory to the lounge. It's Matt Morgan. The other day, my partner, she said that I was being immature, so I told her to get out of my fort. (laughs) (laughs) All right. um, I spent a lot of time building that one up. Matt, I hate to break your heart here, buddy, but I might have to agree with her. <laughs> Joey, you're going to start a pillow fight, too. You need to watch out. <laughs> oh, goodness. All right. Up next, every time he makes a clue token, he says, flames on the side of my face. It's Dana Roach. <laughs> I got into an argument with a friend this week about climate change since it's like 50 degrees in Wisconsin in the middle of winter. It, things got heated. <laughs> wow you know what i'm glad that i use the flames on the side of my face <laughs> yeah, right or clue movie reference yeah. for you given your silly dad pun actually a uh, little yeah. bit of kismet going on there that's that's a fun coincidence <laughs> the, the guy had no chill about it either dana oh no i mean hopefully he's warming I... up to the idea that it is real though I, I i hopefully but i mean he just needs to cool off i think before Probably. things really escalate and this is the Idiot Trek cast. We, are <laughs> <laughs> we we talk about magic cards. I promise. Um, <laughs> I guess. Right. <laughs> Sometimes. Matt, Matt, what magic card topic are we talking about in this week's episode? <laughs> well, this week we're going to revisit something that we've talked about. We try to revisit this topic every few years or so, but we're going to talk about and look at some data with color balances and imbalances among popular commanders. What commanders are pretty balanced with the colors that they're running within the deck and which ones lean pretty heavily into a certain color over others. Yes, indeed. I am excited to get back to uh, this, this bit of data. This is, is going to be really fun. Sorry. I just, I'm really glad that we could get back on the rails. I just like, I've never seen this go so far (laughs) off the rails so quickly, but hopefully we'll stay on track. But Also by you acknowledging that we went off the rails, you took us back off the rails. No, don't do this to me, Matt. No. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, we've got some shout-outs to do before we get to our main topic. First, we got to thank Chase, a.k.a. Manicurves, for their terrific work on the post-production of the show. Chase, we love you so much. Thank you so, so much. You're an awesome part of the team. And as members of Team Ultimate Guard, I'd like to thank them as well. I'll be bringing this brand new uh, Boros deck to MagicCon Chicago in this sweet Ultimate Guard deck box. Try out their product because they are excellent, and we'll be all using them at events we go to this year. Those sleeves shuffle like butter. They're so good. And you can put six to eight basic lands in one of these boxes, too. <laughs> Dana, we're, we're, you can put more. We're going to need you to play a couple more basics you here, could, buddy. You could, but why would you? Well, one thing that you could do also is support the show. Lots of free ways to do that. You can like this video, can subscribe on YouTube, subscribe to your local podcast app, leave a review, all that fun stuff. 
or you can go to patreon.com slash edhretcast and get yourself a little bit in return for supporting the show, whether you want to join our Discord community, you want to see all of our historic challenges stats picks, there's all of that and more over at patreon.com slash edhretcast, including the coveted and weekly patron shoutouts. So this week, Willie Stone, thank you so much for your support. Your heart did not turn to stone, unlike the Pharaoh in years gone by. What? Um, you <laughs> opened your heart to us and supporting us with your not stone heart. Can't play Golgari because there's Medusas and Gorgons that would turn you to Willie Stone. And therefore, thank you for not turning to stone. Dana, speaking of going off the rails. Speaking of going off the rails. Dana, I was, was going to say, do you think we even need to be here, Dana? I think we can just like let Matt do the whole show. <laughs> we can just let Matt riff all night. Yeah. yeah. I mean, sorry that you guys don't have this valuable skill that is obviously drawing in so many fans each and every week. I'm... <laughs> I'm, I, I think I've been completely, I think the word is gobsmacked for the beginning of this episode. I'm just like, it's a good I'm word. here to talk about magic cards with my friends. <laughs> One of these days we will talk about magic cards with my friends. I don't know if it will be this episode. You know, actually, gobsmacked is not a magic card, I don't believe. And so, not yet. really, wizards <laughs> should fix that for us. It's a good word for a spell. Gobsmack would be a great spell. It's absolutely true. But anyways, Willie, thank you for your support via Patreon. <laughs> And also, let's get into the main topic. Yes, yeah. Color balances, color imbalances. Let's talk about it. Talk about the commanders that have the most balance of colors in their decks. You know, the same number of like white cards and black cards or the same number of red cards and blue cards, things like that. And the colors that are like, hey, I have like two red cards and like 400 other. I guess you can't have 400 cards uh, in a deck. Listen, I know. I heard it as soon as I said it. But we're <laughs> off the rails. So my brain is a little bit addled right now. <laughs> Well, I'm sorry about that, everyone. <laughs> if we want to dig back into some of this old data, we last talked about this back in 2020. So as a quick refresher for the data we saw back then, the most color balanced commanders were Inez the Gale Force, Captain Sisse, Azor the Lawbringer, Zancha, and Azoni Thousand Eyes. I was happy to see some Azoria stuff on there. I like some of those, those things, like Inez caring about flying creatures, Azor the Lawbringer, uh, well, he, he he's he's a little bit weird. I'll actually get you, but that seemed like a nice spread to me. That that seemed like okay. Each one of those, I I am kind of keyed into the way that you know there are a lot of good flying creatures in both blue and white. Or with something like Azoni, both of those colors are going to have great things to offer for that type of strategy. So they felt like the the types of things that like okay, cool, we're getting good color representation for each one of them. And it was neat to see the the data bear that out. Yeah, and and I'm I'm not sure if it's relevant to the 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 cards having a balanced deck, but it, I guess it's worth noting that four of those five cards do have activated abilities that require you to actually pump mana into them. Um, I, I don't know why it would cause that. I've been thinking about that here a little bit since we since we started looking at the show notes for this, but it, it, it is notable. That's not something that you encounter necessarily that often, and to see four of these five require that is something worth least pointing out. Yeah, I don't know if the activated ability would really pull what the deck is doing into a certain direction. Yeah. But also looking at what they do, it, it, it's not really surprising to me that the cards in the in the decks would be fairly balanced. Like Inez has a very specific strategy that doesn't really lend itself to being one color or the other. Or Zancha Sleeper Agent, which is all about kind of the, the group slug type of effects. Mm. It doesn't really need one color or the other because both red and black, for example have some Punisher types of effects in them. And so you don't really need one color over the other, which 
isn't going to be the same for some of the, the least balanced decks because they need a certain color specifically to power what the deck wants to do. Right. And so those were the ones back in 2020 that had the most balance. But then, Matt, when we look at the ones back in 2020 that had the least color balance, what did we see there? Well, we saw kind of a theme. Uh, so the least balanced decks are going to be Lord Windgrace. We have Tiana, Ship's Caretaker. We have Omnath, Locus of Rage. We have Joyra, Weatherlight Captain, and then Omnath of the Royal. And so... Right off the bat, looking at them, three of those decks, those are landfall decks. Yeah. And what color helps you with the lands the most? Well, that's green, very obviously. So seeing three landfall decks play a lot of green, who's surprised? Nobody is surprised. Yeah. And even the other two, like Jorva Weatherlight Captain, obviously was an it deck, but it was also a lot of artifacts with the overwhelming number of cards in that deck being artifacts and blue cards. And red was like, I'm here too, I promise. <laughs> like it really tended to be blue was doing the artifact stuff. If anything, I think that Tiana kind of came as a surprise to me back then because uh, the Boros decks, we don't tend to see white showing up as a, a color that has the least color balance in the decks that it's present in. That's pretty rare. That was one of the patterns that we saw all those years ago when we first ran this metric was that white was often an equal participant. Uh, white blue decks especially were consistently the most even in terms of the number of white cards and the number of blue cards. Whereas green, as we see with landfall, tends to have a pretty overwhelming presence in the decks where it was present in. Well, and I think green fixes some of the problems you would have if you're overspending one way or the other as well. Uh, I have an Azorius deck, um, Asperia Supreme Judge, that skews pretty heavily blue, so I have to be cautious when I'm adding new cards. I'm like, okay, do I if I if this if I'm adding this blue thing, it's going to make it even more difficult for me to cast multiple spells per turn because it's just so heavy to blue. Right. Um, but if you're playing green and you're able to go fetch, particularly the multiple dual lands you have access to that can do both things, it's way easier to like. Overcomp to, to compensate for that skew and not have to worry about it. So I, I wonder how much of a difference that makes too. You can ignore the problem to a degree if you're playing green. Yeah, and, and all this data from, from 2020, if you want some more of our thoughts and just our deep dive, because we did a whole episode on this, go back. We'll have the, the episode linked in the show notes, but it, it is kind of interesting to listen back to that now and then look at all the information that we have today and mm. what things have stayed the same and then what has changed and some, sometimes very drastically has changed too. Yes, yeah. Some things stay the same. Some things change. Uh, yeah, let's look at it now. Here in January of 2024, I guess that'll be February when this episode uh, finally comes out. Um, we've got a new top 10 for you. Uh, let's start with the imbalance. These are the commanders that have the greatest amount of color skew to them. And Matt, talking about some stuff that stays the same. Um, we got a lot of landfall again here, buddy. Uh, Omnath, Locus of Creation is the most imbalanced one. Lord Windgrace, Soul of Windgrace, Omnath of the Royal, <laughs> Omnath of Rage. Uh, even Nine Fingers Keen actually shows up in the top 10, which cares a lot about gates, but, you know, it's a deck that cares about lands. So lands decks populate the top 10 very, very strongly. <laughs> yeah, so, so many landfall decks. It's very, very obvious that green decks are going to be your, your fuel for landfall. You're able to pull lands out of your deck, put them on the battlefield. And when your deck depends on doing that, whether it's Omnath, Locus of Creation, even Nine Fingers Keen, you need very specific lands and green has kind of the only ways outside of a few they're able to do that. So I understand why people would be playing so much green because that's really kind of the only way for you to be doing that because 
in, in other colors, they're not benefiting you and they're not finding different ways to get these lands into play like green does. And my guess is actually it's kind of, uh, it's kind of the opposite. People aren't running a heavy color skew because they're in green. They're in green. Therefore, they can just accidentally run, it, run a, a color skew without having to think about it. Hmm. Like if I'm not playing green, I do have decks where I have to like look at it. I mentioned my Azorius deck. If I'm playing green, it just never comes up. Like if I'm, it, even if I'm playing a brand new green deck, for the most part, I never ever run into a situation where it becomes a problem, so I don't think about it. And I would guess that's the case with a lot of these. Because you're playing green, you don't ever have to worry about whether or not it's a problem. Additionally, talking about landfall stuff, so much of the landfall stuff is just in green. So like, I think a lot of this is kind of, is it's, it's very much just the physics of it all is pushing <laughs> these decks to be skewed very heavily. I, I love that. That's a great way to word it. Um, and to get some specific numbers as examples here, uh, we won't go ev over every single one of them, but like Omneth Locus of Rage as an example, it has 52 green cards versus eight red cards in that deck. Um, or Omnath Locus of Creation has 47 green cards and then 10 blue, you know, good for it, but then like five white cards and six red cards. Uh, but some of those are the numbers that we're talking about. It's just like, oh, the overwhelming majority of these decks is made up of these green cards here, which definitely has a lot of effects on, you know, how many uh, color producing lands you need in each of those decks, for instance, and, and the pip requirements. As a quick thing to note, we are counting the total number of uh, like green cards, not like green pips. Um, if you count by pips instead of like cards, that does change the order of these a little bit amongst the top 10, but it doesn't change them by a whole lot. So we are just going by cards, but that was a quick metric about the data that I just wanted to let people know about. But yeah, we're talking about like, oh, 40 plus 50 plus green cards versus like, if we're lucky, a, a couple of red ones or a couple of <laughs> a couple of white ones uh, tends to be the pattern for a whole bunch of these. Yeah, well, let's get away from the landfall decks because we we can talk all day about why green is good for landfall, that, but that's not going to be helpful for really anybody. And so let's go back to let's go to these these top cards, these top commanders, I should say. So the top non-landfall commander comes at number four, and that's just going to be Thraxamundar, which is an old, old commander from way back in the day, uh, all about making your opponent sacrifice creatures, and then whenever opponents sacrifice creatures, they get plus one, plus one counters on Thraxamundar. It used to be a very, very powerful commander. I don't know if it's really kept up because it, it does cost seven mana. Hmm. But if you look at the typical deck, it's pretty heavily skewed into black. So you see 44 cards that are black in the deck versus nine blue cards and eight red cards. And that's that's a massive tipping of the scale. But also black is really the only color that supports a sacrifice type of theme and making your opponents do that. I mean, I just want to just pause for a moment and just reflect on the fact that we're talking about Thraxamundar here in 2024. <laughs> card that I, I would wager none of us have seen or thought about since back when Game of Thrones was good. Um, it's the same with Child of Alara down at eight, just like the flashbacks. This is like when WWE brings back Ric Flair every, you know, couple Woo! WrestleManias just as a throwback to when you were young. So yeah, we're we're getting some nostalgia here in the in the list that I was not expecting to see for sure. Dang, that's funny. And there's an interesting, you know, different reasons for the differences between each of those. Child of Alara being a five color deck, I think it almost by accident has the same kind of landfall adjacent problem of just like, listen, green's gonna find you your colors. Um, and it's been interesting to see the way that that deck has evolved. There are a whole lot of, for example, like Theros gods in Child of Alara decks, since your lands and your Theros gods will survive Child of Alara's 
destruction ability. As for Thraxamundar, it really seems like that's become a home for like a Grixis zombie deck. But th there's not a whole lot of red uh, going on in there. No. So it is, <laughs> no. And like yeah. zombies skew pretty black. Uh, don't know what to tell you. So in that case, it's very enforced by like, oh, the creature type is really dominating a lot of the direction of what that deck has evolved into. And also, Dana, I agree with you. Good for Thraxamundar. It's still got like <laughs> yeah. 1,500 decks to its name here in 2024. I'm so proud of my boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm cheering for you, Thrax. Well, and, and it's also just kind of astounding. Of the 10 most imbalanced commanders, nine of them skew incredibly heavy towards green. The only one that doesn't is Thraxamundar. Everything else is green. So nine of the 10 most lopsided decks, they're all going towards green. Well, <laughs> and Matt, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I'm going off the rails again, but all by myself, <laughs> just here. <laughs> because I wanted to get to the thing that's number five on the color imbalance list, which is a card that when Matt saw the name, he was like, what is that? That's not a real <laughs> card. Like, I don't <laughs> which is Marika Brutal Gladiator. <laughs> Matt, do you know what Marika is? <laughs> I didn't even know this was a card. <laughs> like, I genuinely, I've never heard of this. And I saw this on the data. I was like, what even is this card? And then when, when Joy said, oh, it, it was the Zangief card from Street Fighter. Yeah. That's, that's when I, okay, now I know what this is. I, I can trust you because Zangief from Street Fighter is more believable than Marika Brutal Gladiator. Yeah, it is the in-universe version. I'm, I'm. Listen, I'm very, very proud of it for sure. Uh, but Marika Brutal Gladiator, for those who don't know, uh, five mana Jund Commander, Human Warrior, seven four. It must be blocked if able. As long as it's your turn, it is indestructible. And whenever it deals damage to a creature, if the creature was dealt excess damage this turn, that creature's controller sacrifices a non-creature, non-land permanent. And Matt, as you said, once again, the color skew here is strong in the green. Forty-nine green cards, only three black cards on average in this deck and 16 red cards so good for that you know the excess damage red is going to help you out with that um but for a commander that says sacrifice on it doesn't feel like black is making that much of an appearance here to help along with that sacrificing it really feels like fight spells and uh red extra damage is going to be the the, the dominating force that governs the way this deck is built yeah well and and rounding out the top 10 too one of my favorite commanders actually it's it's raga draga gore guts boss Yo. uh this is one that's all about making your mana dorks getting more powerful whenever you cast big spells you get to untap your little dudes i i love raga draga it's my eldrazi deck because i make spawns and scions but typically the average deck is very very lopsided uh 58 green cards and only nine red cards in this gruel commander and it's a little disappointing but also since green is one of the only colors that really gets access to mana dorks at least Good ones, I should say. Um, Are you trying to say yeah. that, that Sisters of Flame in red, <laughs> the, the <laughs> red I'm, mana dork from back in the dark, isn't a good card, Matt? Shame. I'm saying if Sisters of Flame ever had a home, it would be in a rock <laughs> deck. You this are would be correct. the one place you'd ever run it for sure. Man, I, I feel like I got to keep on reining you guys in to talk about, about <laughs> stuff. Th th you've gone off the rails again, but at least this time you did stick to magic. You're just talking about cards I don't know what they are. Sisters of the what? <laughs> like, <you're> not... <laughs> Listen, I just don't, if I don't Marika know Brutal Gladiator can be a real card, then so can Sisters of the Flame. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, an interesting thing here that I also kind of uh, want, want to linger on is that, Matt, as you pointed out, amongst the top 10, nine of the top 10 were weighted towards green. And if we were to expand like to the top 20, we would see basically the same thing. Green really is one of the things that just like 
for, for various reasons, for like the color fixing reasons for five color and for landfall, but even also for, you know, the Raga Draga mana dork reasons or the Marika fight spell reasons. We see a lot of like things weighted towards green and a high density of green being able to supply that for those decks. And I did one more measurement here to see if like maybe that was just a thing that was happening near the top of the list. Um, is it actually present throughout most of the list or like that high end of the list? So I, I did an overview of the top 100 most color imbalanced commanders to see whether or not that was a trend that lingered and it definitely did linger. Um, we'll throw some numbers on screen here, but like white only showed up 47 times amongst the top 100 most color imbalanced commanders, whereas green showed up 60 times. Uh, the next most popular was red 57 times, but like the reason that red showed up as much was because it, it was showing up in decks that are weighted towards green like <laughs> it's not that red is a color imbalance it's that red was the victim of green because it was present in a lot of for example gruel or jund like landfall-esque type of decks where red wasn't doing a whole lot so red has a very minimal presence compared to green having a big presence that was just a thing that i wanted to throw out here like in, in terms of the way that this stuff is weighted yeah red was imbalanced kind of in the opposite direction of green green was imbalanced and having more of them red was imbalanced in the direction of having less of those cards yeah, red, red is the sidelined color. Well, I, I mean, I would argue that white is kind of the sidelined color because it's only showing up in 47 of the eligible commanders. And so I oof, that that's kind of stark to me that white, even as its role as a support color, really just it, it's just not getting included even. A lot of times when I think about white themes and decks, very rarely does white seem like it's the dominant theme in a two-color pair. It often seems like it's the supportive mm -hmm. theme in a two-color pair. There are exceptions if you're you're playing some kind of an angel uh, kindred deck or something. But like for the most part, whenever I have wound up brewing a two-color deck with white, white is the assist color, um, at least in my experience, that, that tends to heavily skew that way for sure. Well, and unlike green, white can kind of do a lot of different things, but it's not great. But the, it lends itself to being... A better support so like if you're looking at blue white flyers for example it still has a fair amount of flyers and a lot of good flyer buffs and lords also have white there so it, it maybe is able to stand on its own merit while supporting other colors better than a lot of other maybe like red for example that we we're talking about well so the way i want to uh try and clarify what i was saying earlier like yes white does show up fewer times in the top 100 but the times that it shows up it isn't necessarily the color that is being imbalanced upon mm -hmm. whereas red very consistently was the color that only had like eight red cards in the deck versus however many there were a whole bunch of blue cards or there were a whole bunch of green cards it took until i think uh <laughs> obosh the prey piercer uh which is currently at like spot number 51 among the top 100 for red to finally have a oh i am the most dominant color in this deck kind of moment uh so red that's what i mean when i say that red is the more sidelined of the colors because white did at least have a couple like it, it was present less often, but it was more present as a dominant force in the decks uh, than red tended to be, because red, it was just like, man, I'm showing up in three decks here, and then eight decks here, and then finally, oh, here's a, like a dragon deck where I'm the most dominant color, and then I'm back to like three decks here and three decks here. That's sort of what I mean by the, the way that these things were skewed and that red was weighted against. Yeah, that, that's a good thing to point out, Joey. That's a good catch. Thank you for clarifying that. So why don't we challenge some stats real quick then, and we can come back and we can talk about the most balanced commanders then that are able to support each other and, and nobody's really pushing somebody out. Ooh, I like the sound of that. 
I, I still feel a little like caught off guard every time you guys just normally segue into challenger stats and you don't make a big big deal out of it anymore. This is a <laughs> unfamiliar territory for me. Is that what the shtick is? Is that you're just making me feel like Kill, killing you with kindness is the plan this year? Yeah, we're we're just we're just moving the show along. We're helping you out. We're helping the listeners. We don't want to jar them too much. <laughs> that's that's what it is. I feel like you're just totally tricking me into like thinking that the challenge the stats segue steals never were a thing, Joey. What are you talking about? <laughs> like. Oh, no, they were. They were. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, indeed, there's so much data on EDHREC that we don't always agree with. So right after this quick break, we'll be right back to challenge the stats. All right, I will start us off with Challenge the Stats this week. And since we have noted that Red wasn't getting as much live, it was getting more sidelined, I want to challenge the stats on a Red card here today. Um, and Matt... Listen, I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna try on the pronunciation here, but I, I've messed it up every time that I've practiced. Assault on Osgoliath is the name of the is that am I doing it right? No. <laughs> no. How's how's it pronounced? I don't know I don't know Lord of the Rings that well. What is uh, Osgiliath is, Thank you. is what we're looking at. Osgiliath. That, that, that's your obliute or your uh, <laughs> what was what was the card I messed up a few weeks ago? Oh Herashanil. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Joey's got his Osgoliath moment. We're we're happy for you. Apparently, if it starts with an O, we cannot pronounce the card. That is just the way. <laughs> <laughs> That's the lesson apparently here. Yeah, apparently. All right. So, Assault on Osgiliath is the card that I want to highlight here. That is X red 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 for a rare sorcery from the Lord of the Rings Tales of Middle-earth set. It says amass orcs X. Then goblins and orcs you control gain double strike and haste until end of turn. This is an interesting little card. If, if folks don't remember Amass all that well, uh, to Amass Orcs X, you would put X plus one counters on an army you control, and then it would also be an Orc. If you don't control an army, though, you'll first make one of those tokens to put those counters upon. Um, we've seen a lot of Amass Zombies cards before. We also got Amass Orcs in the Lord of the Rings set, and I think the fact that this says Orcs on it as like the first line there kind of made people think, oh, this is probably only a card usable for decks that care about Orcs or that are doing a lot of Amass synergies. But... The thing that is just like goblins you control also gain haste and double strike until end of turn. I don't even necessarily care about giving the haste, but three mana to give all of your goblins double strike, that could be kind of relevant. There are a lot of really good goblin commanders out there that could really benefit from an ability like this. Like, I'll admit that not every goblin deck needs this. There are probably other spells that might help you deal a little bit more damage in your average Krenko deck, but there are certain goblins that I think will get a kick out of the fact that this card could be just a thing that gives you double strike, or, you know, it could give you another body, and maybe those decks even care about plus one plus one counters. Uh, for example, Grumgully, that is a Gruul goblin who also cares about plus one counters. So maybe your deck is manipulating some of those. Maybe your Wart Boggart Auntie deck would care about having another creature there or just wants a way to close out a game. Your average Muxus deck could be like, oh, well, my commander is pretty big. If it had double strike, I could actually deal quite a lot more damage this turn. And it's kind of a nice surprise. But even decks like Magus Lucia Kane, that's also a commander that cares about both X spells and plus one plus one counters, which I think would be able to make use of the, the good, cool parts of this card. It just feels like a rare that maybe got a, a little bit buried. And the fact that it it's so budget friendly is what makes me interested in potentially playing it if you've got a budget goblin deck that you want to give all of them double strike in addition to all of your other buffs this could be a nice surprise and it's kind of a fun thing that does more than just amassing a whole bunch of orcs so uh, don't let it get buried in all of the terrific lord of the ring stuff if you have a goblin deck, it's possible that you'll like this one my challenge this week is a preliminary challenge of stats everyone hates you hate showing up to commander night and 
you've got the commander deck that we just talked about last week and all your friends are like, why aren't you running that card those guys talked about? They're awesome. They make the best suggestions every week and you screwed up. Like That feels terrible. So I'm going to help you. I'm going to prevent that from happening to you with your new T-Sack Judas Hellhound deck. You won't get yelled at by your friends when you build T-Sack. T-Sack is a legendary creature, an elemental dog, a 3-3. It has Unleash, and other dogs you control have Unleash, which is a fantastic bit of wordplay. Uh, however, the ability on T-Sack here, um, whenever T-Sack Judas Hellhound attacks, add red for each attacking creature. It's lacking the text that says... This mana doesn't end empty from your mana pool as, as steps and phases complete. So you have to use that mana during your combat step. If you are playing T-Sack, and there are six decks right now in EDH rack, but there will be more because people love goofy creatures like this, put Gitu Warcry into your deck before people can make fun of you for not running it. It is an old enchantment, two and a red, and it just says for red mana, target creature gets plus one, plus till end of turn it's a mana sink it's not an aura so like people can't blow up a creature and two for one you you can choose whatever target you want and pump that mana into something to just smash somebody in the face get to war cry dirt cheap card this is a perfect fit for it put it in your t-sack deck before you get made fun of when we challenge it two years from now made fun of dana what <laughs> that's how it that's how it happens. It's so aggressive. Grown men come to me, big, strong men, tears in their eyes, talking about how they got made fun of. The rails, we're off them. Little, little Jimmy, little Jimmy said, "Are you really playing that? Come on, those idiot trek guys just challenged it this week. What's wrong with you? Oh. We're trying to stop that. We're trying to stop bullying. Really, is what we're here for. Oh my goodness, Dana, that was so. That was so much. That was so much. <laughs> Well, on a different note, I will wrap us up with our challenge stats segment of the week. Um, so, <laughs> thank you, Dana, for all of that. Uh, right? Sam I can't Hinman, get over it either. <laughs> I don't even know what to do. Anyways, Sam Hinman sent us an email, which any of you listeners out there can do. EDHRETCAST at gmail.com had a very funny challenge that all three of us got a pretty good chuckle at when you think about how this interaction works. So Sam sent us the email and said, in a Zexara the Exemplary deck, you have access to base 0-0 creatures pretty much at all times, and the card Nanogene Conversion is a powerful board wipe with any creature not being pumped up. Zaxara the Exemplary is the Sultai commander. It's all about Hydras, or whenever you cast a spell with X and its mana cost, you create a 0-0 Hydra creature token, then you put X plus one plus one counters on it. So this deck just cranks out Hydras left and right. And the cart Nanogene Conversion is absolutely fantastic. So it's three and a blue for a sorcery that says, choose target creature you control. Each other creature becomes a copy of that creature until end of turn, except it is not legendary. This card is super, super fun. So you are making a ton of zero, zero creatures that have plus one, plus one counters on it. That's what keeps them from dying. Nanogene Conversion turns all of your opponent's creatures into those zero, zeros that do not have the plus one, plus one counters on it, causing them to die to state-based effects. Sam goes on to say, alternatively, you can choose to pump all of your base zero, zero creatures by plus two, plus three, then shrinking down any big blockers that are controlled by your opponents, or just revel in all the additional mana token generators you have with all of your non-legendary Zaxaras. This is such a cool little interaction. I really like this in a couple of my own decks as well, but man, this is a fun synergy. It's a one-sided board wipe. We love those over here at the show. 
So, so thank you so much, Sam, for sending us in this email. Thank you for the great challenge and uh, keep them up. Yeah. Notably, if you turn everything into a zero zero, your Zaxara will probably die. But guys, I don't know about you, but that's a price I'm willing to pay if it means that all of my opponent's creatures go away as well. Yeah. It, it, you. So it's uh, as an additional cost to cast the spell, sacrifice your commander, deal 60 damage to each opponent. Like that's basically what the card says. Yeah, big big wide open board. Yeah, this is a, a trick that I've pulled off uh, in my own Plasm Counter deck. I've used the card Mirror Weave yeah. uh, to turn every creature into a copy of one of my creatures. I'll pick like a Colonian Hydra, base zero, zero. So uh, Sam, I've pulled off this type of trick too, but Nanogen Conversion is another great way to do it. And uh, you're actually able to play it in decks like Zexara because Mirror Weave obviously is uh, stuck with the, the hybrid blue and white costs. So there's a lot of cool tricks that you can pull off with this one in those plus one counter decks. Uh, scary stuff. I, I love this challenge. Really well done, Sam. Okay, guys, we're we're getting back into our topic here. And I, I feel like even in challenges, stats, are, are we though? Uh, we, we went off the rails <laughs> in so many ways here that I'm just like... Are we, though? Yeah, that, that's exactly right. <laughs> are, are we really? Um, but Matt, as you said, I think it's time for us to get into the cards that uh, the commanders that were the most balanced here in 2024. They actually had an even spread of the colors that were in their decks. Where do we start? So we're going to start at the top of the list then. So the most balanced commander with coming in with 34 blue cards, 34 red cards, and 10 multicolored cards is Magnus the Red, which was, came in the Warhammer 40k precons. Uh, this one's all about spell slinging. It's all about creating 3-3 spawns whenever you cast sorceries. And it's just a, a fun spell slinger type of deck. And I would argue and probably say that a lot of these spell slinger type of decks, especially in Is It Colors, they're probably going to be fairly balanced because you look at the typical deck and what they're playing. Oh, there's cards like Young Pyromancer and a bunch of rewards for casting instants of sorceries. And the blue just fuels everything, makes sure you're drawing lots of cards. And so Magnus the Red... I'm not surprised at all to see it being one of the most balanced colors here because just the, the strategy by itself lends itself to being a very balanced strategy. Well, this is actually like a kind of a spoiler alert for when we get to the other things on the rest of the list. But like when we pulled this type of data back in 2020, is it was not a very well balanced color pair. It mm -hmm. was actually one of the lesser balanced ones. Like Riel the Everwise was one of the only uh, color balanced Is it commanders available. So to see it now here at the top of the list, and then actually several other times amongst the the, the top when we look at all of the rest of the data, like Is it has actually had a bit of a glow up in this area, and it, that's really been interesting to see. And it's for the reasons that I think you said. Like yeah, both red and blue have proven that they've got really great things to lend to that strategy. And so I think red probably really fleshed out its abilities in the spell slinger genre over the past couple of years well and we also have balmore battle mage captain at number four and crack the thumbless and sakashima um down at number eight is it pairs as well that kind of are looking to do similar things with similar cards that balance kind of makes sense with both of those commanders as well um, at number two though we're looking at Luris of the dream den so something here in orzov and actually, what I found interesting about this is there's a pretty good split here between, uh, or a pretty similar split between monocolor cards and multicolor cards, at least compared to the Is It as well. I was expecting us to see a even higher ratio of monocolor cards, given the requirements of of uh, Lures to want to run as many things of, of a low CMC as possible. Mm. Um, you know, when you're trying to play things that are two drops, so you can recur them. There, there's not a lot of room there for 
two color cards, but um, doesn't look that dissimilar from these Izzet decks. Yeah, I, I definitely think that Luris kind of falls in line with a, a lot of the. This, this is a weird thing to say that, like, oh, this tiny aristocracy Orzov commander will have this similar thing in common with a bunch of Izzet Spellslingers, but like the fact that Luris cares about low drop stuff and the fact that the Spellslingers, like Balmor, for example, want you to cast a bunch of spells, um, or that the Karkin Sakashima want you to cast a bunch of spells over and over again, it really comes down to, oh, these cards are cheap. Therefore, we want to have a, a good spread of them. We want the cantrips that are going to help us uh, drop a bunch of cards. We want the creatures that are going to help us have Sacrifice Fog. We want these red cards that are going to help us do those little pings that maybe we can copy. So like it really does all seem to fall in line. Uh, so it's interesting to see that Orzov and Izzet have those things in common to balance out those colors. And we're talking like dead even splits on here too. Like the, the Izzet stuff, it was like 34 red cards and 34 blue cards. Luris, it was like 30 white cards and 30 black cards. Yeah, I mean, to, to back that up too, Joy, Aura, Skyclave, Hierophant, that's also another Orzov commander that is incredibly balanced and that's all about clerics and really the only color combination that you can really play clerics in is going to be black and white. So if you're trying to make a kindred deck, for example, all your options are here anyways. And so this gives you a chance to just play all of those Orzov colored clerics, um, have a fun typal deck that, you know, you can run around with. And it turns out this also is going to be very, very balanced. And, and clerics are going to be really low to the ground too. So I think it fits right in for the same reasons. Like yeah. clerics don't tend to be expensive creatures. They tend to be one drops. So to take a step back to to a card we skipped over here, um, Marisi Breaker of the Coil is sitting at number three, the third most balanced commander. Um, this is a three-color deck. We're, we're here in Naya colors. Um, and, and again, that's a pretty even spread. I, I was actually surprised we would have any three-color decks here in, in the top 10, let alone all the way up to number three. But people are really spreading uh, very evenly between white and green and red here with, with Marisi Breaker of the Coil. Yeah, a really nice spread on these. 23 white cards, 22 red cards, 23 green cards in the average Marisi deck, which, uh, awesome, cool for it. And it makes you wonder, what is having the balancing effect on these? We've seen green be such an overwhelming presence before. I have to assume that given Marisi's goad ability, a lot of the red that's showing up here is people leaning into the goad strategy, which is a thing that red is going to especially be helpful for. And then also Marisi kind of wants creatures that are a little bit lower to the ground, a little bit easier to enable that strategy, which is probably what pumps up the ability for white to be present here. There are a lot of like white creatures with shadow on Marisi's page, for instance. Yeah, it, it feels like a situation where like this this is just demanding you to run useful creatures yeah. um, that have some form of evasion, which whether it's flying or unblockable or whatever it is, and that just happens to be an even spread. It's not pushing in one direction, so as a result, there's some equilibrium. Yeah, yeah, the the utility creatures definitely uh, become very appealing for a commander like that. Um, and then that moves us down to number five on the list here was Clouth Unrivaled Ancient, which is a Gruul Dragon. I did not expect to see a Gruul deck amongst the most color-balanced commanders here, but it's got 34 red cards and 33 green cards. Good for you, Clouth. That is the seven mana 4-4 dragon uh, from the uh, Forgotten Realms set, I think. It has flying and haste, and when it attacks, you add X mana in any combination of colors, where X is the total power of attacking creatures. Spend this mana only to cast spells, and until end of turn you don't lose this mana as steps and phases end so 
you see a gruel thing in there and you're just like, wait, we've seen it be imbalanced before. What's going on here? And in this case, we have the classic green, I care about having things with big power. So that's definitely going to, you know, have a big influence here, but also it's a dragon. <laughs> and like straight up, a lot of the ways that people build clout decks is with a whole bunch of dragons. And that's really what red is good at. So we still have green trying to dominate because it cares so much about you have things that are just big creatures. I care about the biggest creature that ever biggest creatured. But then you also have like... Hey, you know what? I want to play some Dragon Speaker Shaman to make these things easier to cast. I want to play a Scourge of Valcast. I want my Atarka to give all my my dragons double strike so that I'm not just making mana. I'm spending it on really big, cool flying lizards. Well, and it turns out, too, if people were worried that after seeing Xenogos, God of Revels, where it's just all about making big creatures even bigger, they're still making cards that do that for Gruul. So if you just want to go smash, like you're able to, and Clouth Unrivaled Ancient is kind of the perfect way to do that still. Um, Rakdos Lord of Riots is here at number seven. And the balance of, of Rakdos isn't what threw me off so much as the total covered cards in this deck, 66, is exactly in line with everything above it. You know, Magus at 67, Loris at 66, Mauricio at 65. Mm. Um, Rakdos is running the same amount of colored cards. And it, at least myself, whenever I've seen a Rakdos Lord of Riots deck, Rakdos has, has always, when I've played against it, skewed very heavily into colorless creatures, particularly, whether it's artifact creatures or Eldrazi. Mm. Uh, because the way Rakdos works, creature spells you cast cost one less to cast for each one life your opponents have lost this turn. So frequently when I've played that deck, someone's found a way to deal some amount of damage and then just dropped a Wormcoil engine and, and, and a you know a couple of different Eldrazi for nothing at all. So seeing that this deck just on average isn't skewing like that it's looking to have a pretty similar balance of colored cards and everything else that's more what surprised me than anything well and the same things that we said about rakdos lord of riots we can also say about xantia sleeper agent where it's that rakdos color combination where it's all about punishing opponents for doing things having them just gradually lose life to really fuel rakdos's ability and so that kind of the math checks out here and it's doing kind of the same thing just with a different commander at the helm. So black and red both equally being able to do kind of the, the group slug effect, that's it's showing in the numbers here. Yeah, it's been nice to see that over the years, the Rakdos color combination is still just like, hey, you know, we're pretty even-handed with how, how these things are going to be. Um, I also kind of can't help but wonder if, like, just the mana cost on Rakdos Lord of Riots also has maybe something to do with it. Just like, black, black, red, red. It's pretty strict. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know for sure, but that, that's just another thing that, like, if I see that, I'm just like, oh, maybe I'll want to be conscious about the spread here so that <laughs> if my deck is, like, 50 red cards, for instance, well, I still need to be able to cast this commander. Um, but yeah, I'm, 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 I'm proud of you too, Rakdos. Good for you. <laughs> um, that'll move us now to number nine on the list, which is a Simic pair of Peer and Toothy, the imaginative rascal and the imaginary friend. Peer helps you get additional plus one counters on your stuff and toothy gets a whole bunch of plus one counters on it when you draw cards and it draws you cards when it leaves the battlefield when you look through this commander page you know the average deck you're going to be seeing a whole bunch of green presence on this page because green does a whole lot with plus one counters your new kami of the whispered hopes your forgotten ancients a whole bunch of those so i was wondering for a bit what is it about the blue that is you know helping it show up so much here um and it's because of the way that Toothy interacts with blink spells. <laughs> so, yep, there's a lot of blue blink spells because it turns out when you cast an Essence Flux on Toothy, 
He'll leave the battlefield, trigger the thing, but he'll also come right back because the spell has to resolve first. And then he'll see the fact that you're going to draw all those cards and will leave the battlefield effect. And then you'll put even more plus one counters on him when he comes back. So whole lot of green for the plus one counters and a whole lot of blue for the flicker to draw 8,000 cards or something like that? I'm trying to remember the last time I played against a Pier and Toothy deck, but it drew a lot of cards. Well, and Simic's been getting a lot of pretty evenly balanced ways to put plus one plus one counters onto creatures too you know we, all the times we've been to ravnica all the support sets too so anytime we see a simic named card more than likely it's going to have some sort of ability to put plus one plus one counters on creatures too so having a plus a plus one plus one countered themed deck myself in salty colors i've noticed that it's it's pretty balanced overall because Simic especially is is pretty well rounded when it comes to every color is able to put plus one plus one counters onto things or like you said Joey has some sort of benefit to creatures with those counters on them. Yeah, this very much is not a landfall situation where like green dominates that particular theme and the other colors really don't contribute much. There's a ton of counter synergy in blue in addition to the blink stuff. And there's, you know, things like proliferate is pretty heavily involved in in blue mm -hmm. as well. There's mm. there's things that bolster counter. So there's there's a lot of reasons why well, blue is sharing the load here in a way that we're not seeing with landfall decks. Yeah, that's a really good point. And we've gotten some new toys even just in the most recent Ixalan set, I think, uh, like Wave Goodbye and Ripples of Potential, which are really cool cards for counter stacks. So that, that's also a good point. Not just the Blink stuff. I may have spoken a little bit too soon. Certainly a lot of the Blink stuff. But Blue is stepping up its game as well, and that's a really good. That's an important thing for you guys to point out for sure. Well, and let's wrap up and, and just glance over this last commander because... <laughs> I don't want to talk about Toxrel the Corrosive any more than I have to. The only thing going for this commander is that it's pretty well balanced. It's, it's So Toxrel the Corrosive, uh, if anybody hasn't had the pleasure of playing against Toxrel the Corrosive, um, and I'm being so sarcastic right now, folks, uh, five black black for a 7-7 seven, seven slug whore at the beginning of your end step, put a slime counter on each creature you don't control, and creatures you don't control get minus one, minus one for each slime counter on them. And then whenever a creature you don't control with a slime counter dies, you make a slug. And then you have the activated ability of a blue and a black to sacrifice a slug and you draw a card. Miserable play experience, if you ask me. I like creatures on the battlefield. Um, but Toxel Corrosive, cool. 25 blue cards, 26 black cards. None of them are good or fun. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, how do you really feel? <laughs> to actually try to dig into it a little bit, um, this is a similar situation, I think, to Peer and Toothy, where there's just a good balance between the two colors of what the deck wants to do. Proliferate also has plenty of things in green. Green has a lot of counter synergy. Black has things that care about things going in the graveyard. I think it just, it just works out that all of the things the deck wants to do are split between the colors on a card. Well, it, it ends up being a whole lot of like control cards in each color. Uh, you know, your polymorphists jests in blue to turn all of your opponent's stuff into one ones, and then those slime counters insta kill them. Um, and then you've got a lot of black either as kill spells or as just your classic aristocrats effects to make sure that when those things die, the game actually moves somewhat towards a type of conclusion. Um, so. <laughs> Matt, I'm kind of with you. Toxtral's not the most fun for me to play against either. I, I do have kind of like a, oh boy, let's gear up kind of attitude whenever I see it. Yeah, um, a one-sided board wipe every turn because you're playing a bunch of cards like Flatline and then Massacre Worm. Yeah, uh, it's, it's not a particularly fun deck to play against, if you ask me, but if that's your jam and that's what your playgroup likes, 
jam away. Um, I will be glad that I'm not playing in those specific games. <laughs> and you can let them know that the average Toxtral deck has 25 blue cards and 26 black cards. So mm. it's very balanced. Maybe not fair and balanced, but yeah. it is at least color balanced, which is a nice thing for it to see. Um, but like at us ending on a couple of blue examples there, I think actually uh, kind of goes back to one of the points that I made earlier about like how is it decks, for instance, became a bit more... They had more balance this year, and I think that we actually kind of saw that throughout a couple of these different examples that we've seen. And guys, I did that same metric that I did for the imbalanced commanders, where I surveyed the top 100 to see how many times each color showed up. And no surprise, white and blue were at the top. White showed up 55 times amongst the top 100. Blue showed up 53 times. And it turns out red was actually the one that showed up the least amount of times. It only showed up 45 times in the top 100. So uh, yeah, white and blue seem to have very balancing color effects on the decks that they show up in. Whew. So now at the end of this, having seen all of that data just now about color balances and color imbalances, I guess I just kind of want to you know, do any final thoughts, any, any last takeaways that we have about about the idea of color balance like how do you feel about color balance decks is this something that you aim for in your own deck building is this something that you don't really care about is there a way that it you think affects the cards that you use or your deck construction where are you at now at the uh, end of this when you think about color balance in edh decks so I guess for me, I don't really keep an active eye on it while I'm building the deck and kind of brainstorming ideas what I do want to do though is, after I've built the deck, after it's gotten into a, a semi-playable form, I want to make sure that my mana base is aligning with it more so than I care about the the cards that I'm casting. That's where I really try to be mindful of, of how balanced or imbalanced my deck is because if I'm playing certain cards that, you know, maybe I'm pay, playing cards that are triple red and, and I'm in a three-color deck, well, I'm probably going to be trying to focus around those pips uh, more so in my mana base than I am would be if everything was kind of fairly balanced. So, that's where I really take this into account is if I'm building the deck and looking at the fun cards, the non-land cards, I, I'm not really, I don't really care if they're all one color or not, but I need to make sure that I'm, I'm going to Architect, for example, and I'm going to the bottom of the screen looking at the, what, you know, what do the color pips say? What do my mana symbols need? And make sure that my mana base is accommodating whatever I ended up doing in that deck. Uh, for me, the, the one place that it really pops up um, particularly like in a newish deck that I am playing and realize that, oh, I have an imbalance here and it's causing me issues, is almost exclusively in decks playing blue. Hmm. Um, so that makes sense. The most balanced combinations are Izzet and Azorius, both featuring blue. And the reason it's relevant is because if I'm casting too many blue spells during my main phase, it becomes challenging to hold up blue mana for counter spells to protect what I'm doing. And usually in blue, you're wanting to run counter magic. That's one of blue's strengths. Mm. So you have to be cautious to keep a balance and make sure if you're you know, playing Izzet, you're doing red stuff. If you're playing Azarius, you're doing white stuff, or at least some degree of it. So you can keep up that one or oftentimes two mana if you're talking counter spell or mana drain or something, or cancel if you're that guy. Um, <laughs> so you can... <laughs> So you can protect it. So I, for me, that's the the situations when, like in real life, when it's been an issue for me that I've had to go back and tweak decks. It's been Azorius decks, particularly 
Um, but almost always things with blue where I'm playing counter spells and I, I need to keep that balance so I can have blue mana free at the end of my turn. Yeah, I, I think that there are small ways that we can see this emerge. Like if you notice a high amount of color imbalance, maybe that will affect your desire to play like medallions in that deck uh, since you actually do have a whole bunch of, of cards of a certain color in the deck and that could help you out a lot. Or like maybe you have a multicolor deck, a, a two-color deck or something that still wants to play Nykthos because it turns out actually I do have a very high devotion to black after all even though i'm playing a golgari deck or, or or things like that that can certainly influence it um but but dana honestly i'm just <sighs> listen you're, you're you're talking about having color like mana fixing woes and, and i just i can't help but wonder if my guy like is it because you play too many non-basics and you're not playing enough basics like are you playing too many <laughs> war rooms and reliquary towers like th there's also that that you have to balance too right <laughs> yeah that's probably part of it for sure i'm not going to pretend that's not occasionally an issue for sure well and, and i'm kind of trolling you a little bit but like when i see a you're not wrong either <laughs> you might be trolling but you're also not wrong well yeah, especially with the way that you i've seen how you build your decks i don't understand how you play like three basics in a deck it's just like it's wild but i do mean it but like like when i notice that like oh my decks have a pretty even match that does actually affect my willingness to play certain things like a reliquary tower or like a war room because i'm like ah hmm this actually has a higher chance of getting slightly in the way of the pips that i do need because of how clearly demanding these pips both are uh, as a presence in in my deck um and so like matt just like you said the color balance tends to be a thing that like it really is going to affect the mana producers that i use mm -hmm. it isn't a thing that i actively pay attention to but it does catch me off guard a whole lot and so like yeah it's kind of one of those things i have a relationship with in retrospect i'm like oh well i better change my lands now yeah i mean i've built decks and then realized oh like pretty much everything is is green but it's a three color deck and i had all my basics for example because i was playing more than six on like dana <laughs> but all my all my basics were were fairly balanced out and so i looked back i so i needed to kind of adjust i didn't need any blue black lands for example because that wasn't really helping me with the majority of my deck so i was able to kind of cut down on the dual lands that i was playing and really adjust my mana base so the cards that I wanted to play, I had to adjust the cards that I needed to play so that I could cast them when I wanted to. Totally makes sense. Yeah, there, there's a lot of interesting lessons to take here. Um, honestly, most of all, I'm just glad that we got the show on the rails. Um, <laughs> that <don't> <laughs> like. So I think I think we're going to wrap it up before we can be destabilized and go into completely different other topics yet again. So uh, listeners out there, we would love to hear what you think about all of this data. What are your most imbalanced and most balanced uh, colored decks out there? Uh, it's interesting stuff to note, and it's interesting to see how it affects your deck building. And with that, Matt, where can folks find you on the onlines? So you can find me pretty much any social media platform out there. Uh, my handle is going to be the same no matter what. It's at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And don't forget, we are Team Ultimate Guard. We're very happy and very proud to be part of that. So make sure you check out them for the best deck building accessories that you can find out there. And Dana, how about you? You can find me on the interwebs at Dana Roach. And you better find all of us together in Chicago next month at MagicCon Chicago. We are also all available at patreon.com slash EDHRATCAST. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz online, probably being a fool on Instagram or something like that. And you can find the cast at EDHRETCAST everywhere online. Plus, if you've got a question for us, you can contact us at EDHRETCAST at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to Chase for their fantastic work in the post-production of the show. You can find them online at Mana Curves. Listeners, we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. <laughs>